Hi, and welcome to Thought Bubble. My name's Scott Millward. Here, I'll be talking to thought leaders from various industries, sharing their insight into their area of expertise and creating a thought bubble around the topics that matter. Let's jump into it. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the show. I'm really pleased to announce that I've got Barry James with me on the show today. Barry is the co-founder of Don Lent and is also a parliamentary candidate in the UK election, which is really exciting to be able to get him on the show today. So um, welcome, Barry. Yeah, a bit nail-biting at the moment, but thank you, Scott. It's good to be here. Perfect. Um, So the reason I wanted to talk to Barry today was to confront the issue regarding home ownership in the UK, and also the issue around, as you put it, Barry, generation rent. Um, I completely sympathise with the issue being someone in my mid to late 20s, someone who is currently buying my first house. And the the struggle was involved with young people and first time buyers in order to get onto the property ladder. And, And some of the issues in terms of home ownership and rent and some of the legislative changes that have happened in recent years in terms of what agencies can and can't do and all that sort of stuff. Um, So Barry, what do you really think is is the issue in, in terms of home ownership and just rent in general at the moment? Okay, well, there are two major, major issues. When you look at the data, there are two major issues. One, which pretty much everyone knows about because they can see the prices of houses. They can see that the multiple of earnings that you need has gone from something like two times annual earnings to five, six or seven times. And uh, they can see that that problem, Um, the actual bigger problem, and and it's actually when you, again, when you look at the stats twice as big, it's actually the thing that's the real killer for almost everyone, except those who've got sort of the bank of mum and dad backing them up, is the deposit. And there's really good reasons for that. Uh, you know, we've had all these years of austerity. We have, we've had years and years and years of low wage rises. Meanwhile, property has been rising. So that means that disposable income is the first to go. So we've now reached the point where probably 80, 85% of people who would normally be, you know, eligible thinking about possibly owning a home um, basically are ruled out. You know, the, yeah. the, the, if they're paying a high rent and their rent keeps going up, they've got no chance. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's the depressing thing, isn't it? That wages aren't rising. If rentals weren't going up in, in the same vein as house prices, it might be a slightly different problem where people would be able to save that deposit quicker because they're not spending so much on rent and they have a higher level of disposable income. And it just means they have to save for longer, but it's just not viable now. It just doesn't work. Unless you, like you said, have the the bank of mum and dad or can take a period of time where you move out of rented accommodation and go and live with a family member, for example, for a year or two and save that money to then go on and buy your first property, you sort of have to impoverish yourself in order to then move on to the the next stage, uh, which is just really bizarre. I I spoke at uh, one of the hostings actually here here at Sheffield University uh, a few days ago, and it was quite... uh, Quite enlightening um, when I mentioned in the room that, you know, 25, something like 25% of students after 
the graduates are returning boomeranging the, there's even a name for it now millennial oh, yeah. boomerangs returning home either because they can't afford the rent or that they're, they're trying to do exactly as you said and use that as an effectively you know a, a subsidy a, a bank of mum and dad thing in another form in order to try and get on the ladder uh, and that i think was a bit of an eye-opener for folks yeah i i complete I, to be honest i'm surprised it's not higher um, the people that I know that have bought homes, not one of them hasn't either had help from bank of mum and dad or moved back home or out of rented accommodation or, you know, gone and lived somewhere a bit rubbish for a period of time to save money. It seems like that is the route you have to take mm. in order to do that. I mean, a, a deposit for sort of a two bedroom, three bedroom house now is upwards of 15, 20, 25, 30,000 pounds, depending on where you live in the country. Yeah. Now that that could be a year's salary for a lot of people in their twenties and thirties. An entire year's salary that is a lot of money to save in order to get to that first step. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, you mentioned the the fact that rents continue to, to rise, and of course, you've got to expect that. You know, it's it's kind of you know, if you are able to get on the property ladder, you kind of lock in the price of the house and the amount of the mortgage on day one. And yes, okay, the the uh, interest rate might fluctuate a bit, but you've actually fundamentally locked in the cost. Actually, yeah. if you're in rent, there's, there's none of that. Um, yeah, there's no, no security, is there? Yeah, yeah. But, but also, uh, one of the big changes when we kind of, uh, we actually came to this from a, a technology background and, and a viewpoint, looking at blockchain and providing blockchain solutions initially. But when we kind of looked at this, we realized actually this is rooted in culture and we've seen a huge change over the last decade or so where effectively housing has become financialized in the sense that a huge portion of the housing stock has moved into buy-to-let investments. Yeah. Um, and really on the basis of those buy to let landlords are going to be expecting to maximize their take. Yeah. Um, and, and if you then combine that with the demise of and the, sell, the huge sell off of housing provision from councils, mm-hmm. it's a huge culture change, um, yeah, yeah. especially when you kind of factor into the fact that that you know when you're kind of living as it were with a buy to let landlord you yeah. are effectively on a six month leash <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah you know you don't have tenure um, you know previously if you were renting from a from a council you would have had so so this is a, a really big and important change that's happened quietly but the implications are only just now becoming clear i think yeah, and I think that those buy-to-let landlords didn't exist 15, 20 years ago. Um, and sort of, like you said, the attitude towards housing in my parents' generation who were buying in the 80s and 90s, attitudes to housing were very, very different, like you say. I mean, I, I do sympathise in the sense that in terms of interest rates, um, it's a lot more favourable nowadays with interest rates at, for a lot of houses around sort of 2%, which is, you know, crazy low. When you think about in, in the early 90s, um, they were up at 15, 16%. So, you know, it's not, it's not all bad news um, if you can actually get that deposit together. When you actually get that deposit, you do end up paying a lot of the equity off quicker than you would have 15, 20 years ago. However, it's a very different situation today. However, you know, think about that. Uh, probably interest rates on the high street now are near a sort of 4.9%, you 
you know, yeah. around about the 5%. If you then factor into that the fact that instead of uh, borrowing 2x, two yeah. times your, your annual income, you're probably borrowing near as six times and in round figures. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That actually means that in absolute terms, even though you might be paying, let's say, you know, 5% now, your outlay is probably as if it was 15%. So, yeah. it, you know, it sounds great that we've got low interest rates, but when, when you factor that in, then it, it kind of looks a bit different. You've got, you've, got to pay, you've got to pay a lot more actual equity off because the value of the property is still so high compared to how much equity you have in the property. Well, yeah, I mean, compared yeah. with your income, the amount that you're outlaying is now is, you know, on, on, on that showing would be a, as if you were paying 15% rather yeah. than five. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, it is still a lot of money, even when you've got the deposit together and you've worked out your interest rate and all that sort of stuff. It's still a lot of money to pay every single month yeah. to, to, you know, when you've got your five year fixed or whatever you've got um, to, to pay that off. So what sort of suggestions would you give to any first time buyers who want to get on the property market, are struggling to save that deposit, maybe feel like it's not attainable for them, but it's still aspirational and something that they want to do? What sort of advice would you give to them? Okay, well, I mean, just, just to finish one thing on the last point, you know, yeah. that that hill to climb, you know, it's kind of more equivalent to 15% uh, and which was the top of 17% was the top, I think. But, but the real killer is that deposit because yeah. if you can't get the deposit and you can't get a mortgage, you can't get in the game. And that's, that's the big issue. So yeah, I, 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 this is tricky. You know, there are, you mentioned already the kind of things that, that you can look at doing. So, you know, if you can move back in with parents and, and or uh, persuade them to help with the uh, with the deposit and those things often go together of course because yeah. after a little while you know uh, helping with the deposit probably comes a little more attractive yeah. <laughs> after living yeah, together yeah. for a while yeah. um so that, that that's one way i mean i've seen all sorts of advice you know one that made me well it it i can't laugh because it's it's not funny, really. It's tragic, you know. Get a better job. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Probably people are doing that anyway, if they possibly can. It's make a plan, really. It's yeah. be realistic about it. How long's it? You know, how much can you actually save, and how long is it going to take? And learn as much as you can, both about the process. Yeah, um, and about the local market, and and, yeah, and again, be realistic about what you might be able to to get the first time around. But fundamentally, I think it's far too hard. And yeah. and and the reason I've decided to stand in the election is not to get elected. Um, strangely, I'm an uncandidate. Um, it's really to say to the other candidates and to the gov the new government, look, this isn't you know. It isn't, no matter what people tell you, oh, it's just supply and demand, we need to build more houses. Yes, actually, we do need to build more houses, but that's not it. Yeah. This issue of financialization is a huge one. Um, and the issues around policy are even more influential influential in this than the uh than the you know the, the other factors that we we're talking about in the supply and demand yeah. so on the one hand you know right now it's a lot about saying look we really need to 
face the fact that we've got a re- we've actually got a crisis and it's as things stand if we don't have a course correction it's only going to get worse so the most urgent thing we should be doing is seeking a course correction and then beyond rent we have plans for the future where we'll start to build hubs within cities like Manchester and Sheffield and other places where people can actually come together to, to, to work with one another to help solve some of these problems. Yeah. So do you, I personally have the opinion that in, in terms of policy, a lot of these issues haven't been sort of looked at because it's more of an issue for younger people and younger people don't affect the aren't, aren't, uh, aren't the people that are currently represented in government and aren't influencing the vote as much as some of the older generation. Uh, do, you, do you think that has an issue in terms of why policy hasn't been changed? I, I, th- I think that's a good part of it. I, I think it's a bit underground because it's a bit like overdraft, you know, and, and the problems around banks taking the pee when, you know, you go over your overdraft. People don't like to talk about their overdraft. Uh, yeah. You know, so it kind of remains you know, in, in the dark. And if you've been turned down for a mortgage, you don't, a lot of people won't just, you know, prepare, prefer not to talk about it because they think it's just them. Yeah. Um, and I think that's one of the factors. The, the other major factor is we've talked to quite a number of politicians about this, some quite senior ones. And one senior cabinet minister or ex-senior cabinet minister, a chap called Francis Maud, you might remember, he was, uh, I think he was, Cabinet office in charge of the cabinet office or similar in yeah. uh, a recent ish administration. He, I asked him some questions about this um, uh, over a dinner in Manchester a while ago and you know posed them to him. And, 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 and actually, he I kind of watched him in the room, you know, the, addressing the room about this and, and very thoughtfully saying, mm-hmm. Well, actually, now I think about it, yeah. I think he said he'd got three children and they're all yeah. in this position. Mm-hmm. And then he thought about it and he said, yeah, there is an issue, isn't there? And yeah. this should be self-correcting, mm-hmm. but it isn't. And I thought it was a really telling comment. There's a, there's an assumption out there that it would self-correct and the yeah. market would sort it out. The problem is that the it's not just the market, it's also the policies the market runs on. Yeah, absolutely. And I think is. House prices will continue to to rise. That's something which you know we know will happen generally over time, um, and they they seem to continue to outstrip inflation and wage growth. So you know we're at, like you say crisis point at the moment. If you add another fifteen to twenty years onto this, what is that going to look like? Oh, I think if if there isn't a course correction in the next three to five years, there will be at least one, as it were, lost generation. Yeah, and it, 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 it does it does feel like that would create, you know, the real wealth gap, generational wealth gap, um, which you know we we can see currently in in the boomers per se compared to millennials at the moment. But if you look at is it Gen Y, which is the, the younger generation coming through now? Um, if, if things aren't corrected, there'll be even a bigger generation wealth gap between millennials and Gen Y than from millennials to boomers. And that is a scary thing because those younger people coming through will be locked out of home ownership. And the only way you'll be able to buy a property in the future is with inheritance or if you know, you're given a property. Yeah, well, we're, we're, I'm afraid we're not far off that now. And uh, as I say, um, it, it, 
you know, we're in danger of that becoming entrenched. And once we're there, it's so much more difficult to come back. So for me, this isn't just about generation rent, you know, the people who are stuck with high rents and in the catch 22 that while you're paying a high rent, you can't save. Um, It's also about, which I think of broadly as my children's generation. It's also about the generation after that and what comes after, you know, how do you, how do you come back from that? You know, it's kind of taken us many, many decades to, to get there in terms of people being having this opportunity, you know, which, which traditionally in my lifetime and in my parents' lifetime has formed the basis of being able to have stability and to have financial independence. It's taken us many decades to get there and we're in danger of throwing that away, I think. Yeah, and, and the fact that we do have an opportunity at the moment to correct the course of where this is going is hopefully not lost on politicians in the whirlwind of Brexit and all the other issues that are going on, that the housing crisis isn't ignored and put to the side again. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot to do there, to be honest. I you know, have had conversations with the, the other candidate candidates here in Sheffield Central and um, I won't embarrass anyone but they did embarrass themselves you know uh, an airy answer of oh well they do this different in Germany they they you know they they rent and maybe we should just have some rent controls um, I think is just a terrible slight to be honest um, yeah you know our generation my generation and um, you know uh, thank goodness you know uh, you're looking forward to getting the keys, I think. Um, yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, have have had that choice. Yeah, we've had to struggle for it, and have, and there's nothing wrong with that. But to blithely consign this to, you know, history, and you sort of make it you know, accept the fact that unless you're really wealthy, you're going to be you're going to be earning money to pay a landlord rather than own a home. I I just think that is appalling. And I think once the electorate realises that, um, uh, well, we've got to start, we've got to get the politicians to to understand it, but we've got to get the electorate to understand it too. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a big issue. And I think the fact that, you know, you have certain politicians who are pushing towards, well, it's different in other countries and, you know, it's not all about home ownership in other countries. Well, that's fine to, for you to say because you're the people that own the property in the first place. And, and that's a scary thing. Um, I think it's, you know, it's, it's, it's not a sustainable thing and a, and a healthy thing for um, generational wealth to be held by a certain gen- by, by one generation, you know, um, and a whole generation below that who just are filling the pockets of buy-to-let landlords and just can't get a break, basically. I just think that's a, a crying shame and, and, not, the, and, and not the fault of, um, of millennials um, at all. And they've just sort of been landed in this situation. Yeah, I had a very interesting conversation at, uh, at the hosting I mentioned at Sheffield University where, uh, you know, I, I asked one of the organisers why the audience didn't seem to be terribly see apart from the point I mentioned terribly seized of the problem given that within a year two years three years they're going to be leaving and facing that problem um and his answer was really interesting he said that um well actually we as millennials 
have low expectations. We've got low expectations of the kind of place we're going to live and the, you know, the standard in terms of what the landlord provides and so on. And we've got low expectations in, in terms of income because, you know, we've grown up during austerity, which is, has, you know, suppressed incomes. So yeah. this is generation rent, you know, this is, this is the, this is, you know, all part of the same problem. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you, you're making me lose hope a little bit now, Barry. I mean, I, I'm, I'm very, um, very lucky myself that I'm just about to get onto the property ladder next week um, before Christmas. Um, I was one of the many, um, sort of three years ago, I could, I could barely afford my rent. Now I'm buying my own property. You know, a lot of saving and hard work's gone into that and uh, working hard and, you know, borrowing uh, cash away in order mm-hmm. to get that deposit together. Um, a lot of that has happened. But it, it does, it does for some people, and I know for myself personally, three years ago, I, I didn't think that I would be in the situation I am now where I am actually buying a property. I just do hope that um, young people and first-time buyers don't actually lose that hope. Um, because I know at one stage I just thought, what the hell let's just enjoy why not just enjoy myself and just resign myself to the fact that you know home ownership's not going to happen for me mm-hmm. yeah well it's an interesting journey over the last three years and well done uh maybe we could Thank explore you. that a little bit but um what i will say no don't lose hope um despite all that i'm saying there are things that the government can and should do there are innovations that we can make that really adapt the 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 way things work the way mortgages work the way home lending works to make this work you know there's we've put forward a handful of policies and policy suggestions as part of this campaign and that's just the beginning you know so it's kind of it it's really dual pronged don't lose hope on a personal basis this you know make a plan on a on a citizenship basis you know come and join us you know let's let's tackle this and let's let's tackle both the complacency of government and you know motivate change yeah absolutely um and i think that takes more awareness of the issue to happen and hopefully that will build momentum behind that and you know the calls for change and hopefully hopefully some of your initiatives will be able to be implemented by government and actually provide a bit more hope back to young people trying to buy their first home yeah absolutely um personally just on a personal note in terms of making a plan that really resonated with me so about two years ago i made the decision to tax myself a percentage of my income regardless of how much money I felt like I had that month. Mm. So if it was 5%, 10%, 20 30 50%, whatever the percentage was, mm. I committed to it. And I, I taxed myself as much as I could. So I actually uh, read a book by Tony Robbins called Unshakable. Mm-hmm. And it was about sort of taking control of your financial future and about saving and investing and all those sort of things. And he said about um, how if the government raised income tax or national insurance for you, another 10 or 15 percent, you'd bitch, you'd moan, you'd scream, but you'd still pay it mm-hmm. because you have no choice. Mm-hmm. And this this is the attitude to saving and investing um that we we can all take a leaf out of you know everyone can save 
one, 2%, 5%, you know, that there is always a number you can save, regardless of how, how painful that might feel at the time, because when that compounds over a long period of time, you will be massively surprised at the amount you can actually save. Um, Now I I saved over probably a two year period, I I would say, sort of working in that way where I would save as much as I could and invest as much as I could as well. And I've got to the position where, you know, owning my first home is now possible, but I wouldn't have done that without the, the discipline. And, you know, if you're on a lower income and, you know, you can't save as much every month, um, it's going to take you longer. But I would say that you will still achieve that. It will just take you longer. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I mean, it's really interesting that the, the tax idea, I have not really come across that one. I, I, I see the strength of it. Did it motivate you or, or did it kind of, you know, demotivate you? I, I suppose the there is there it's not really a tax it's going it's going into a, an account somewhere and you can see it yeah. yeah yeah so um i just thought of it like a tax like the fact that it was non-negotiable that's why i think of it as a tax it was non-negotiable mm-hmm. that it goes out you know on payday as mm-hmm. the money comes in that goes out and it moves somewhere else and it's yeah. in a locked box which you can't touch and it's for your future and and that was the way to think about it and mm-hmm. What it actually meant for me was that every payday when I got paid, I felt like I'd accomplished something because I'd been disciplined to do it. Mm. Um, And then the rest of the month, you know, I was free to do with uh, the rest of uh, my money, uh, whatever I liked, because I'd already achieved what I wanted to that month. And then the next month I would do the same thing. And obviously that nest egg sort of keeps growing over time. So every month you do sort of feel like you've achieved something. So it's something which I will continue to do, even though I will now be a homeowner and sort of continue to use that principle. Because I think one of the issues that everyone, not just young people, um, get in the trap, especially young people coming out of university, growing up, and maybe they're suddenly getting into, you know, decent jobs, that when you earn more money, your lifestyle and your expenses increase because you sort of feel that expectation that oh, I'm earning more money so I can afford to do this. I can buy this car or go on this holiday or buy these clothes or whatever it might be. Your, your entire lifestyle keeps going up, mm. which means that your expenses and your expectations go up at the same time, which makes it even more difficult to save. Mm. So personally, I did a, a bit of an evaluation of my lifestyle and I worked out what was the number that I needed every month to live the lifestyle that I was comfortable doing. You know, it's not a, a flash lifestyle or completely killing myself every month. It's somewhere in between. Mm. Um, and what was that number going to be? And I sort of stuck to that number, even when sort of salaries have gone up, up and down. Mm. I sort of stuck to that number. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's what I need each month. And beyond that, it gets saved and invested. That's something which I've been so glad that I've done because I know that, you know, when earning higher salaries, you can just sort of get into the trap of just spending more because you know that, you know, it's coming in again next month. Yeah. And actually looking at that, and this is kind of part of making the plan, isn't it? You've kind of engineered both your expectations, but also where you draw your satisfaction. You know, if if you can gain a sense of satisfaction of something well done, achievement, as you said, from seeing that happen on a monthly basis, then that makes a big difference in staying motivated, I guess. I think so. I mean, I think if, you know, if you saved a thousand pounds or 500 pounds or 200 pounds this month, you know, give yourself a pat on the back because you've done something for you, which isn't, you know, drinking it away or partying or holidays or 
buying stuff that you don't need or you know doing things you, you could avoid not doing yeah. um you've committed something i think it's delayed gratification in a way mm-hmm. is that when you save or you invest money you're delaying gratification mm-hmm. and every rule of wealth generation is uh long-termism not short-termism in yeah. the fact that things compound and wealth compounds and yeah. compound interest being the eighth wonder of the world or whatever it is considered yeah. getting into that gratification based on on saving i think is a really powerful thing i, I know people that have actually taken out second jobs in order to save more or invest more and they actually get a real buzz out of doing that every month rather than going and buying stuff or whatever they might do um and and i think that it's massively underappreciated how switched on young people are and how much they are already doing these types of things i think that there is that awful misconception that the reason that young people aren't saving enough for their deposits or whatever is because they're out partying or going on holidays or buying clothes or whatever the conception is um i think that that is an awful misconception of young people that is the perception obviously there are some people like that but the vast vast majority are not that at all um are very responsible in terms of their own personal finances yeah that's one of the things that we've seen a lot when we've you know been discussing this that there's there are some people who who just without any foundational real in 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 data or evidence just kind of are very dismissive that oh well one and in the same room in manchester i was mentioning earlier oh one rather wealthy entrepreneur said well the trouble with this generation is the too many lattes and too many nights on the town you know they they, they don't know how to save and there is that assumption but isn't there um just before we leave the subject you know, that process that you went through. Is there another psychological factor at play there in that if you're not just seeing the number go up or another amount going in this month, but also seeing another step along the way, another another step towards, you know, what you've got in your sights in terms of your objective coming coming closer, making it real? I think so. And I think that, um, so I personally work with um, a life coach in order to support me with anxiety and support me with achieving my life goals and setting out what I want to do. And one of the key topics that we talk about is that for ultimately for anyone really to have happiness, you need to have growth in your life it needs to be personal or professional growth or monetary growth or whatever you know we we can all sit still and and do one thing and sit in the same place for a, a short period of time but generally we feel like we need to grow and be progressing in whatever it is we're doing in order to be happy and i think that there is a massive amount of fulfillment in knowing that you are progressing in your future with what you're doing and you're not just staying in the same situation which can happen when you live paycheck to paycheck. So part of the secret weapon here, the secret of your success is that sort of coaching factor perhaps then? Well, that this is something that I've um, only just got into in the last three months due to um, I, I, being a little bit on burnout, to be honest, uh, where I've, I've just worked for about two and a half, three years and just mm-hmm. been very single-minded in pushing my career forward and actually got to the point of sort of getting anxiety and burnout Mm. and sort of probably being a little bit too bloody minded Um, and sort of looking at the balance of, you know, things are actually okay and take a step back and look at where you are and 
all those sort of things. And I think that, that happens to a lot of millennials, a lot of young people who are sort of really push, uh, pushing themselves so far in their careers um, in order to try and you know get onto the property ladder, to get on in their career and get on in their life. And, and that's a reason why um, support services and coaches and things like that mm-hmm. are such an unbelievably important resource. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I, I think it fuels into depression and anxiety uh, in young people in the UK. I mean, the biggest killer of men under 40 is suicide in the UK. And a lot of issues sort of such as finances and being able to afford your home and pay your mortgage and pay your rent, those things massively have an impact on, on those sorts of things. So it's something massively to be considered. Yeah, yeah. Well, as I say, as we go forward, we're going to be um, helping people find the kind of, you know, specialist coaching, as well as there's things like saving circles we can introduce people to that, that I've got elements of mutual, mutual support, which ultimately will build into these hubs if, we, uh, if we're as successful as, as, as we, we hope to be. Well, I think I think that's fantastic. I think the I think it's like anything. If you have a community around you supporting you, you've got a much better chance in order to achieve what it is you're looking to achieve because you've got a common goal and you've got people to hold you accountable to. Are you doing what we agreed that we're going to do? Mm-hmm. It makes it it makes it a lot more tangible, tangible, and a lot more I think realistic for you if you have those sort of support networks. Okay, bro. I think we're going to wrap it up there. I think in terms of takeaways for me and hopefully for the audience is that one, there is a housing crisis and generation rent are, well, I think they're fed up of where they currently are in, in the UK. I think that it's very clear that people like yourself are trying to push forward initiatives, which will support generation rent and millennials, which are trying to get onto um, the housing ladder and that there needs to be some, some policy change in order to support people to get onto that housing ladder. And I think finally that there are skills, initiatives and support networks out there um, to support you to try and sort of achieve your goal of getting home ownership. And I think that the real key point for me is that please don't lose hope because I think that there still is hope at the moment. Absolutely, there still is hope. And would you mind if I just mention the URL where people can find us? Yeah, absolutely. So it's really easy. It's beyond rent, or one word, obviously, dot uk. Uh, beyond rent dot uk. And if you put slash petition on the end of that, that'll get you to the petition. And uh, we'd love you to sign it, please, everyone. Perfect, Barry. I will link down below um, your information. I will encourage anyone with any questions around generation rent around what Barry is doing with beyond rent and the initiatives that he's pushing forward, please do get in contact with Barry um, or alternatively get in contact with me. And I'm happy to sign posts and use the relevant places. Uh, But I do hope that you've all got some value from this talk today and has motivated you as much as Barry has with me today, that things hopefully can change. And, and good things can happen because I think if I can do it, other people can do it as well. And I think that that, that is a really important point. So Barry, thank you very much for coming on the show today. Scott, no, absolutely. Thank, thank you for having me. And, and by the way, again, congratulations. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Thank you.